Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we have this morning's talk. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a tendency to participate in what are called foxhole prayers. Anybody else have that issue? I remember when I would uh, not study well for a test. And I also remember when I would study well for a particularly hard test. And I would show up and I would be led to pray. Oh, Lord, help me. Guide me. Direct me. Give me lots of answers, right? Uh, There's been many times in my life since that I have had foxhole prayers. Times where my car on I-25 coming home one day from going to school down at the University of Colorado at Denver, it was a particularly snowy day. And I was getting off of Spear Boulevard and doing the cloverleaf thing onto I-25. And the highway was icy under the bridge. Everything else was fine, but under the bridge it was icy. And I had a 1972 Cutlass Oldsmobile Coupe. It was a beautiful car. I should have kept it. I'm stupid for letting that thing go. I hit the gas because that thing was really fun when you hit the gas. I had a Rocket 350 engine in it, V8. I had to pull a gas station behind me, though. I hit the accelerator. My rear-wheel drive vehicle spins. I lose control. Fortunately, there are no cars on I-25 at that moment going southbound because my car ends up going all the way across to the far uh, fast lane of I-25 right next to the guardrail facing north on southbound I-25. I said a few prayers and some other things (laughs) during that experience. When we were at the hospital and Sammy was being born and they had infant fetal monitors back then. I don't know if they do that anymore, but they take a little like screw and stick it in the kid's head back then, right? In utero. (laughs) Barbarian. And his vitals just crashed. Marnie had been in uh, labor all day long and he started crashing. This was at 11 o'clock at night. And next thing we know, we are in the operating room. And Marnie can feel sharps. Nothing has been working to help with the pain. So they have to put her under. And they open her up, and Sam's out in a matter of minutes. And I was saying prayers. It was a foxhole. It was nerve-wracking. When David was born, and we were in the, we're skipping Bailey because she's a middle child and they always get skipped. <laughs> as soon as I said Davy, she turned to her mother like, she always <laughs> Like, I don't do this on purpose. Come on. When Bailey was born, and I was working, pulling wire for a construction company, and, and, and I was also delivering pizzas. I had two jobs, and I was busy myself. Actually, this was prior to delivering pizza. This is just construction back then. 
And back then, I was carrying a pager because we didn't have cell phones. You know, us regular, normal people. Donald Trump and those guys had cell phones, the big, huge ones. But I had a pager. And I got a page as I was at a construction site, and I had to run and find a payphone. Kids, if you don't know what that is, talk to your grandparents about it. <laughs> I had to find a payphone. I had to first go in and buy something because I didn't have any change, and I needed to get change. And then I found some money, and I went, and I called my, mu- my wife up, and she's like, do you want to have this baby today? And I said, I don't think I have much say in that. She said, well, the, the baby is two weeks late. I'm losing fluid. The doctors say we need to take this kiddo out today. And then a couple of years later, Davey comes along. And he was taken by C-section as well. Marnie's body just doesn't go into labor, apparently. And in the process of getting him out, he gulped down some amniotic fluid. And he spent... Three, four days in the NICU, struggling with breathing. And all these times were prayers, anxiousness, worry. You been there? You ever prayed when you're in trouble? You ever prayed when you're scared, anxious, nervous, worried? Now hear me well. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to pray when we're anxious, nervous, worried, scared. But if that's the only time you pray, that's a bad thing. If that's the only time you pray, that's a bad thing. And in fact, it demonstrates, it reveals something about your heart. If that's the only time you pray, when you're in trouble, when you need, when you want, when you don't have, when you're frustrated, when you're anxious, when you're worried, if that's the only time you pray, it reveals something about you. Now, the next few weeks, we're going through uh, the Lord's Prayer, the way that Jesus taught us to pray. And we've been looking at the book of Matthew, uh, where we find this in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, we'll start with our reading there today. Jesus begins, he's right in the middle of a sermon, and it's a, it's a pretty good sermon. You should read it sometime, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it goes pretty quickly. It's not like one of my sermons. He's more concise, and he's Jesus and better and knows what he's trying to say, and I chase squirrels, and we never eat it. And here, Jesus begins his talk about praying, and he says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Did you see how Jesus began talking about prayer? Don't be like hypocrites. Now, he follows that up really quickly by saying, who stand in the synagogue in the street corners and pray for all to see them. And you're like, I don't have that problem. I don't even pray out loud in church, <laughs> right? But could there be more that Jesus is getting at when he says hypocrites? I mean, in their day and age, there was this idea of praying out loud to be seen. It projected a particular amount of spirituality. It projected, I know God better than the next guy. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be a hypocrite. In a way, he's saying, don't be inconsistent when you pray. Because a hypocrite is somebody who is acting one way, but is another. They're inconsistent. What you see in the world is different what's seen in the secret. In fact, Jesus follows it up real quickly by saying, when you pray, go into a, a secret room. And when your father sees what's done in secret... You see, in our day and age, most prayer is a secret activity. In our culture, most prayer is a secret thing. But I would suggest we can still be hypocrites in our secret prayers. What do I mean by that? I mean that our prayers reveal the inconsistencies in our hearts. Prayer reveals what is truly, truly, truly important to us. For instance, if you run back through my prayers that I shared with you, good grades, surviving in the car, my kids making it, my wife being okay. And by the way, those aren't bad things to pray for. We're encouraged to pray. We're encouraged to bring our petitions to God. But if that's the only time I'm praying, if that's the only time I pray when I'm in trouble, when I want something, when I need something, when I'm not having something, when I'm not getting something, if that's the only time I pray, I would suggest that I'm a hypocrite. Now, why? What does Jesus say right at the beginning? Last week, we looked at the idea of God being our Father. Jesus saying, our Father, who art in heaven. But the next line, hallowed, be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Isn't it interesting that, uh, and I don't know what translation of the scriptures you might have in your hand. Uh, the one that we use on the screen is the NIV. And it uses this old English word, hallowed. Here is this modern translation and all these other ways it's trying to be relevant. It's trying to help us put the ancient text into modern English. And here they use a word, that sounds really, really old and really, really religious. Hallowed. When was the last time you threw out the word hallowed in conversation with somebody? Actually, maybe a better question would be, have you ever thrown around the word hallowed in casual conversation with somebody? When I go to the coffee shops here in Ray, I never hear anybody say hallowed. When I hang out at my home with my kids, I hear a lot of words, but I never hear the word hallowed. What does this mean? This word. It means that something is sacred. It means that something is primary. 
It means that this thing, this hallowed thing, is above all things. It is worship. It is exalted. It is adored. It is praised. So each Sunday, now, this is the scary part of preaching. Because I happen to know each Sunday we give you the opportunity to say this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Are you a hypocrite when you say those words? Are we hypocrites when we say those words? Are we being inconsistent? Are we seeing God as above all, supreme, powerful, sacred, holy, above all, takes first place in this world, in our lives, in our church, in our gatherings? Hallowed. You know, one way to reveal this, and, and by the way, this all dovetails from the series about the kingdom, because what this part of this prayer reveals is our idolatry. What it reveals to us is whether or not we worship and adore God. Jesus, in this prayer, he says, hallowed be thy name. And all of us, if you're like me, if you're if you're frustrated with this prayer and how long it takes him to get to the gimme list, right? He just meanders along for quite a while. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king. Okay, I've got a lot of stuff that I want to get from you. When do I get a talk? Right? I mean, if we're really honest, don't a lot of us feel like this part of the prayer is going through the motions? This part of the prayer is to make God happy or something to say these things? Because the part we're most interested in is daily bread. And I'm not talking about bread, right? I mean, I'm talking about everything and anything we might possibly want. Because I think that's what Jesus meant by daily bread. What we want, what we need. And Jesus takes an awfully long time to get there. I think he does this on purpose. Because the only way that you should approach God with petitions, the only way you should approach God with asking for forgiveness, is that it must be saturated and grounded in adoration for him. Those things, petitions and confessions, must follow adoration. Petition and confession must spring out of adoration. And most of the time, it doesn't. And when it doesn't, we get frustrated. Now, it's interesting. I Being a pastor, as long as I have, I get to have a lot of conversations about people's experiences with God, with with their experience of prayer. And I can't tell you how often I hear from people, I've been praying this, and I've been praying this, I've been praying this, I've been trusting, I've been leaving, I've, I've, I've gathered two or three together or more, and in Jesus' name, and we're believing, and we're trusting, and we're claiming, and we're naming, and, and, and I'm not feeling any peace, and it's not happening. And you know what the problem is? 
if you need that promotion or else you'll die, if you'll need that girlfriend or you'll die, if you need that boyfriend or you'll die, if you need that job or you'll die, I need this deal to come through or I'll die. I need this kid to or I'll die. I need this to or I'll die. You see, that is what you hallow. That is the most important thing to you. And Jesus is saying, prayer only works when God's the most important thing to you. It only works when God is top dog. When you adore, when you hallow, when you love, when you want God more than anything and you spend time adoring him. Now you're thinking, well, this is getting a little weird. I mean, is he just like an egomaniac that we have to sit around and adore him and say, hey, you're really cool and awesome and wonderful and neat and special and kind and giving and just and... Did you ever think that it's not for his sake? In fact, theologically, theologians teach us that God lacks nothing. God lacks nothing. He doesn't need anything. He needs nothing from us. There's nothing that God needs. He doesn't need you to stroke his ego. So he goes, okay, you push the right buttons. Here you go. The reason we think he must be like that is because we work for people like that. We marry people like that. We were born to people like that. We raise people like that. People are like that. If you rub my back, I'll rub yours. God's not like that. God needs absolutely nothing from you. This adoration's Peace is not for him. This adoration in prayer demonstrates what's truly on the throne in your heart. This adoration demonstrates what's most important to you. Archbishop, uh, I got to find his name here because William Temple says this, that your religion is what you do with your solitude. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. So in that secret place, in the quietness of your heart, when you have nothing that you have to think about, what do you think about? Do you think about owning a house? Do you think about your financial future? Do you think about the kids getting out the house? Do you think about the trips that you'll take? Do you think about the money that you need to make? Do you think about the car you need to get? Do you think about a hobby? Do you think about falling in love? Do you think about... What do you think about? Now, please hear me well. Because I've shared this before and everybody comes and says, so I got to sit around and think about God all the stinking time? No. Because there's way more things to think about when you think about God. You can sit around and think about his kingdom all the time. You can sit around and think about how your hobby could advance his kingdom. Do you remember that guy, Tim Tebow? He quarterbacked for a little bit. Tim Tebow, his solitude thing wasn't sports. His solitude thing wasn't sitting around going, how can I get faster, bigger, stronger, better? His solitude thing was, 
God, thank you for making me a professional athlete because I can use this platform to advance your kingdom in people's lives. And then when it was taken from him, when he no longer got to be a professional athlete in football, did he have a mental breakdown? Did he commit suicide? Did he lose his mind? Did he not know what to do with himself? No, he just decided, all right, I still have the platform. I'm still Tim Stinkin' Tebow. All write books. All work for God's kingdom outside of athletics. He was hallowing God's name. He understood that God has to be numero uno in my life. God comes first. God's kingdom, God's work in this world and in my life. It's not about me. It's not about the beach house. It's not about the money. It's not about the trips. It's not about the falling in love. It's not about the wife. It's not about the husband. It's not about the wife and the kids. It's not about that. It's about God, the Father. And is that first? Is that what you think about? God, thank you for this home that you've given me. How can I use this home to build it as a place of hospitality so I can welcome people in your name? God, thank you for this job that you've given me that I get to earn money. How can I use my money, my resources, to advance your kingdom for your namesake? Because otherwise I'm going to leave it to my kids and I've seen them spend money before. God, thank you for this marriage. I know it's not always perfect. I know it's not always easy. And I know we don't have it always together. But how can, in fact, if you've ever come to a wedding ceremony, I do. At the end of wedding ceremonies, I say a little prayer and I say, for those who are married, may they leave this place with their own marriage vows renewed and restored. And may they go out and build a place of warmth and welcome and healing and caring in the world. Are you seeing your marriage as not a place to make you happy, but God's foremost place to make you holy and to interact with this world in a manner that brings his kingdom to bear? You see, I made all those abstract Venn diagrams for weeks, right? And we're all able to go, oh, wow, yeah, cool, earth, heaven, someday, it'll all overlap. But did you ever stop and think of what this looked like on a day-to-day basis? That every day, every moment, everything you do has an opportunity for the kingdom of God to break into this world. And you could use your solitude, your religion could be that. See, too many people, their religion is being in the right place at the right time for the amount of time they need to be there. We need to be folks who aren't hypocrites. We need to be people who adore God, not for his benefit, but for ours. Why do we adore God? Because in worshiping him, we do no long we no longer are under the power of the other gods we're no longer under the power of mammon of aphrodite of mars and it's demonstrated right here in our prayer for us and oh how weird that that's the part of the prayer that we want to move on from quickly 
at least maybe this is more confession than it is your case. I want to move on from that quickly. See, Jesus wants me to stay there and dwell there because he wants me to worship God. He wants to reveal to me that there are all these other things on the throne of my heart. There are all these other things, all these other gods, all these other wants and desires, and all of these things screaming in my heart. And at least I've taken a step towards being a Christian and decided to pray about those things. But then Jesus says, all right, there's a step further. You need to worship me first. You see, if we do not worship God first in our prayers, if we just come with our gimme list, you're going to leave frustrated. You're going to leave with none of your list being answered. You're going to leave and go, I keep every single morning, I meet with God at 730 And I have my Monday prayer list and my Tuesday prayer list and my Wednesday prayer list and my Thursday prayer list and my Friday prayer list. I take the weekends off because we got things to do. But on the weekdays, I pray and consistently for years, I bring my list to God. This, 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 this. And I don't have any peace and I'm frustrated and I don't see him acting or moving on any of these things. What's his deal? Could you just chuck the list? Spend that time in his presence? Worship? Well, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. Get the Psalms out and pray them. Make Psalm 1, make Psalm 2. There's 150 of them. It'll take you a good five months, one a day, and pray those. What about my stuff that I want God to do in my life? Do you remember that part that Jesus said? Don't pray like a pagan. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. This is why me, a good, when I was younger, I don't know what I am anymore, but a good Calvinist when I was young, I didn't understand prayer because I'm like, God already knows it all, so why bother? You know, maybe I got that because dads aren't always the most responsive when they already know stuff and their kid comes and bugs them and they're like, oh my gosh, what a, I'm, I'm raising a moron here? What's the deal? And I think I thought of God that way. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Raising a moron here? I know you need to eat. I know you need these things. Duh, go away. And as a Calvinist, as somebody who believed that God already knows and God's already sovereign and God can do whatever he wants, why do I need to be like a bug in his ear? Why do I need to pester God with these things? And then I realized, I don't. I don't need to pester God with these things. But I should worship him. I should adore him. I should place him above all things. I should follow him as king. I should spend my time on my knees talking to him about him. Because in the process, I happen to overhear myself. And in the process, I might actually start believing what I'm saying. And in the process, 
the things that I came to him with my gimme list get dethroned in my heart. So no longer must I have that or I'll die. I need this or I'll never be happy. If this doesn't happen, then my life is bleh. And if I can go to God's presence, and if I can be in his presence and say, I have you, and that's all I need. Then you can see the power of prayer, can't you? Then you come out of it and you say, you know what? You're able to say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were asked to bow down to the idol of the king. Because in your heart, you're being asked to bow down all the time. And when they were asked to bow down to the king, and they said, we serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, and he is able to rescue us and deliver us out of your hand and out of the fiery furnace. And then they go on and they say this, but even if he does not, we will not bow. Could prayer be that place? in secret, that transforms your heart, that reveals to you the idols in you, that place where you go, you know what? I just spent a good chunk of time with God. And even if he does not give me, I'm okay. Even if he doesn't come through, it's going to be all right. You see, you and I serve this Jesus who at the end of this book, died a horrific death. And he died it for us. He died a terrible death. And then three days later, he pulled off Easter. He rose from the dead. And so much of the church thinks that his death on the cross is so important, and it is, but Easter is far more important. Because Easter tells you That even if he doesn't come through in this 80-year life of yours, even if you don't get every little thing that your heart desires in this 80-year life or so, he's going to come through on the other side. He's going to come through on the other side. You, one day, if you follow and love and serve Jesus Christ, will one day be able to your bones will be recollected. Your, your muscles, your body, it will be reconstituted and you will be able to wake up out of a grave and dust yourself off and walk out alive. Do you need anything more? Do we need more than that? If you do, then you're an idolater. If you need more than that to make you happy, make life worth it, make things good, then you are serving other gods and your prayer time needs to be spent breaking those altars, those idols, destroying them. Worship the one true God and serve him only especially in your prayer. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, I confess that I am an idolater and I need to learn how to adore you, how to worship you. Forgive me when I come to you with foxhole prayers and that's all I come to you with. Thank you that you are already a moment moment away where I can just enter your presence and speak to you with what's on my heart. But I pray that you, in the process, would change my heart. I pray that you would change all of our hearts and that you would truly be our God and our Father and that we would hallow your sacred name. Holy Spirit, speak to us and teach us these things and show us how to do this. We ask these things in Christ's name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you worship the one true God and serve him only. Amen.